I am glad that you're here tonight. Thank you for being here, for taking the time to be here. And, and I really believe that God has something to say to us tonight. Uh, some of you may, anybody notice any difference, any changes in the lobby? Anybody? A couple of people. <laughs> Good. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, a friend of mine, she, she was a student years and years ago, uh, is a uh, graphic artist. And we had looked for some graphic artists to try to put into words or put into art what we were trying to express as our vision for a church. You know, our mission is love God, love others. But then the, the vision is to um, grow, connect, and go. And we've talked about that a lot on Sundays and Wednesdays. And we wanted to, to find a way to visually represent that. So that's what you're seeing out there. But that, that lady, she's a lady now. I'm that old that she was a student. Now she's a lady. And her and her husband live, I don't remember, I think it's in Ohio. And she works for the city there doing their graphic arts. But she, she put this on Facebook um, this morning or yesterday, yesterday, because... For some reason, her office was without power, and so this is something that she just was meditating on, praying for the families of those who lost their lives in the, the World Trade Center uh, disaster, and um, those are all birds, actually, and there are 2,819 birds representing all of the people lost that day in 9-11, just, just a powerful image, and I would encourage you to continue to pray, because we live in a in a violent world. We live in a world that is confused about religion and right and wrong. We live in a world that, you know, I don't think this is going to get better overnight. You know, you, we, we hope, and Pastor mentioned this a little bit, we hope and pray that a political party or a person in, pow, in political office will change things dramatically for the better. And sometimes, of course, that happens. But, you know, some of these forces are far beyond our control here in the United States. And some of these, for instance, attacks like this have been going on you know, if you remember your American history, all the way back to Thomas Jefferson days and the Barbary pirates, they were Muslim and they were attacking us because they looked at us as being, um, you know, Christian nation and, you know, as, as Islam tells them to attack Christians. So, I mean, this, this kind of thing is, I don't think, going to end for a, lot, a long time and we need to just be in prayer for the world and what is happening in the world. Sunday school class is coming up. Um, our classes, I, I love our Sunday school teachers. I appreciate their dedication and the time they put in, and it's exciting to see what they are doing. We do have a couple classes on hold just for a little bit, which Andrea's class is on hold for a minute, and she'll be coming back with a new class. I'm pretty sure she's pretty sure what she's going to teach, so I'm not going to tell you yet, but not completely sure. And then uh, Jerry Pounton is coming. What this, what's the date, Jerry? Is it 29th or 30th? He will be starting his class on... On uh, knowing God. So we'll be talking about that. Men's retreat. I have two more spots for men's retreat. Two more. I've got, and that's spots in the hotel. You could still go and stay in the dorms um, if you wanted to do that. Or if you could talk one of these guys in a hotel room to share in a bed with you. <laughs> or maybe just take an air mattress, sleep on their floor or something. But uh, two more spots for that. Sunday is Baptism Sunday. We have quite a few people signed up for baptism. If you've never been baptized or as pastor spoke about baptism last week, and if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to that sermon. It was very well done, not only talking about the theology behind baptism, but you know, the practically why we do it, why we do it the way we do it. He even touched on this. You know, If you've been baptized maybe as a child or earlier in your life and you sense you want to redo that, he just said, that's fine. If you want to do that, you don't have to, but if you want to, that's fine. And if that is you, we do have a sign-up sheet on the information desk in the lobby. Please sign up, and then you'll be contacted by Pam, and I'll just tell you what she'll tell you, is that pastor will be meeting with everybody being baptized. And if you decide even that day, you could show up you know, with a spare change of clothes and whatnot, and then he'll be meeting right here on the platform with everybody at 9.30. So it's halfway through the Sunday school hour, 9.30, if you are interested also on the 6th, well, coming up soon, not the 16th, but coming soon is uh, I tried to find a good graphic for this, this section kids crusade that is happening. And even if you are not a kid kid, but you want to be here and feel the excitement, there's going to be churches from all over the Kansas City area that are coming. And, you know, the Assemblies of God, we do a weird thing when we divide what they did years and, I mean, ages ago, they divided our state into two two districts, they call it, and the division line was the river. 
So, you know, here we live in Liberty. So we're in the northern Missouri district of the Assemblies of God. We don't even live in the district our church is in, which is weird. So there are churches, even from the northern Missouri district, who are coming to this crusade because it's a kids' crusade in Kansas City area, and they want to be part of it. So if, you know, I know John would love to have you help as a volunteer, but if you just want to come and, and watch, it will be fun. The speaker is a good old friend of ours. He, we served with him at Sheffield. One of the most creative, talented uh, people, period, that I've ever known. You know, you've ever been around people who are just kind of spooky talented, and you just can't figure out, how do they get it all done? I don't know how he does it. You know, he runs like, I think it's five different websites, and he records three podcasts, and he has a full-blown children's ministry, and he speaks, and, and he's got a family and kids, and what, even his daughter does a podcast. I don't know how you do all that, but he does, because he's just amazing, and he draws and art. I mean, it's crazy. So he'll be here for that. And these are the pictures that were out there just to remind you, and you can kind of walk through the flow here. You'll see our, our skyline there grow. See our crown up there, Crown Point Church. And you can see that tree is obviously growing deep with those roots, and they will be like a tree planted by the waters. And we use this scripture, uh, you know, many times, but, and uh, it's, it's a beautiful scripture. It kind of chokes me up thinking about it. But anyway, then connect. That's the whole idea of connecting with each other and being united in connection. You'll see those, are those roots connecting? I think they are. And then go, how we're moving out and into missions and sharing Christ with everybody we can, everybody around us. So um, we're going to hopefully keep, keep going with a kind of a visual depiction of what our church is about. And so you can be reminded of that as you come and go and a part of the lobby and discussions in the lobby and I want to thank, too, Brittany Wright for a lot of the design work behind the scenes to make, make all of that happen out there. It's a lot of work. You know, there's a few other people on that team, but um, anyway, tonight, who are you? Who, who are you? Didn't that feel awkward, that little silence there? I asked you a question and then paused too long. Did you notice that? <laughs> do you ever do that just to... Do you ever have fun with people like that? Make them feel a little comfortable? I know you do. I love it. Oh, with, with that one? You know what I do sometimes? I'll get on an elevator and stand the wrong way. You know how you're supposed to stand, right? You get in the elevator, and everybody turns and waits for the door to open. But you should do this sometime. It's really funny. You walk in the elevator, and you just stand right there staring at everybody. And you don't say anything, and they just, they just get nervous. They don't say anything, but they're nervous. Like, what is he doing? Why is he doing that? It's just, it's just fun. You can have a lot of fun with people if, if you don't mind, you know, the interaction that you can create. Having said that, who are you? Chosen race, okay. Who are you? When, when I, I love meeting new people, and, and I don't know if, if many people are like this but me, but I love it. I love talking to people, finding out who they are. I'm just curious that way. I, I want to know. What are they about? You know, and, and, you know, obviously I'm not trying to, you know, make people afraid and run, but there's times where people do want to talk about it, and I want to know. I found, too, that if you really want to know somebody, you know, really, the, the key, the trick is asking questions. It's all about questions, because that illustrates that you really are interested and curious, and then you really need to listen to the answers that lead you to other questions. Does that make sense? Because a lot of times we ask a question, it's just perfunctory, we don't even mean it, we just ask it because it's the right thing to do. How you doing? Fine. Okay, we're done. But if you go farther than that and you'll ask somebody, how are you doing? Oh, not bad. I mean, you hear that one? I always say, so is that not good too? Or, and then they look at you like, and they'll say, I mean, most of the time people say, well, not really good. And then if you want, you can go further if you care and ask. I mean, sometimes if, if somebody's willing to be that, you know, not say the right words, you know, we have this pattern that we typically say for, for polite speech in America. And if you vary from that, then I feel like, well, that's, a, that's an invitation to go further and I'll keep asking questions. But I'm not just talking about making strangers uncomfortable on an elevator, but I'm just asking, who are you? If you really want to know somebody or know about them, I would encourage you to ask open-ended questions. What I mean by that is questions that cannot be answered with a yes or no. Because a yes or no question ends discussion immediately. 
Like, how are you doing? Fine. Okay. Do you have a good day? No. <laughs> okay. Or yes. You know, it's just like your kids. You know, they come home and what did you do to school today? Nothing. Right? That doesn't help you. So let me just give you a quick tip, and this is just a tip. If you want to ask open-ended questions, questions that really get you people going, you can ask things like, say it like this. So, tell me about your job. What do you do for a living? Why do you do that? That's a great question, because some people then, that can launch into so many things. Because a lot of people are not in the job they chose or the job they wanted. They're just in a job, and they'll tell you all about it. If you're willing to ask and listen, if you care what they're about, ask about family. Most people will talk about their family. Now, I, I would recommend there's times you got to be careful and sensitive because you can really, if somebody's sensitive about a parent or family member or something that's happened, you know, I mean, I've literally asked somebody about family and then the answer came back, well, they're dead. Like, oh, okay, sorry about that. And that can take you in another direction. But I'm just saying, if you really care, and you're going to talk to people, family's good. Let me just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to needle you a little bit here, but who are you? Because are you something you do, or are you something you are? I mean, is, is your identity wrapped up in what you do, or, or who you are? little caveat there, then we'll keep moving. Superficial questions are usually best at first, Right? non-threatening, superficial things you might ask anybody and, you know, no offense meant, none taken. You know, you can ask about their friends. Maybe you have a friend in common. Always, finding common ground is always a good thing. You know, if you have something in common or can find something in common. I love doing that, especially with people who I can tell right away think they have nothing in common with me, either because we have racial, obvious racial differences or class or whatever differences, and then you can find something in common. It's amazing what that will do. Goals. Ask somebody what they want to do or where they plan to go or is this job you're, you have, are you working toward another thing or where are you going? Especially if you talk to somebody and you find out they're a student or going to college. Amazing. Doors are opening there. Hobbies. Hobbies are great to talk about. Do you play any sports? I had somebody ask me this the other day and it, it caught me off guard because I'm usually the one doing that. And they said, well, are you a, like a sporty person? <laughs> um, I'm thinking, I don't know, I'm not sure how to answer that in a way. You know, I don't wear like bicycle shorts or anything. If that's, I like, um, yeah. And here's what they were really asking. Here's what's funny is people ask you a question and they're really asking something and you kind of got to find out what they're really asking. Here's what they were asking. Do I like hockey? That's what they were getting at because they were wanting me to find out they liked hockey and had tickets to the new, where am I standing? to the new uh, hockey arena over here. Yeah, that's what they were really getting after. But when they asked the question, I was confused. Like, they sent me in another direction there. I love this question. I ask people this a lot, especially if we've already talked about their career or what job they're doing. I'll ask it like this. So was this a passion of yours or what, what led you into this field? People talk because they've got a reason. There's a reason they're doing what they're doing. It may not be what they really wanted to do, but there's something there. There's a nugget there that tells you something about who that person is. I heard this said the other day. It was a quote, and I, I, I had to immediately put it like, you know, on Facebook and Twitter because I could not. It just shook me to my core. They said, as a parent, what you say to your kids ends up being their inner voice. Whew. Gives me chills right now because I want whatever that inner voice is, that tape that's playing in my kids' ears when they're 40, 30, 50, I want that to be the most powerful, positive, encouraging things that can I can imagine. I don't want things stuck in there that pull them down or drag them down or defeat them or disappoint them. I don't want things in there that, that crush their soul or their inner heart. I don't want things in their mind that they have to overcome. The world is tough enough. I want things that are going to help them overcome. And I would never recommend asking somebody about their inner voice. It's not even about other people tonight. It's about you. What is it? Who are you? 
Because what I wanted you to do is think about other people while I was kind of sneaking up on you from the back. Because I want to know who you are. Why are you doing what you do? What, who are you? Is what you do who you are or is there something different or more or less? I mean, who are you? Why do you do it? What brought you to this point? What is the identity? What is the inner voice playing in your mind? Is it a positive thing, negative thing? What is it? That inner voice can be powerful. From parents growing up, they may have been encouraging, they may have not. May have been powerful, may have been absent. Siblings can be amazing. I've talked to people so many times in my life and you, you talk to people long enough and you start to find out what it is that either haunts them or animates them because they keep referring to it. I mean, I, I don't usually do this, but there's times where I could stop somebody and say, you realize, right, that you mentioned your older sister like five times in the last hour. There's a reason for that. Because that sister was saying things or influencing or something was happening as they were growing up that is still on their mind and it's playing in their head. Those can be positive too. I've talked to people who just adore their brother, sister, and just wish they lived closer or whatever. Sometimes it's a teacher. And you've all seen this happen. There's this, there's this phenomenon and I, I don't remember the exact term for it, but they've done so many studies to find out, you know, maybe you have an entire family, maybe they're underprivileged, maybe they live in a, in a terrible situation, maybe, let's just say it's, a, it's, it's abusive and drug-ridden and, and on and on, as, as horrible as you can imagine, and then one kid makes it, one kid makes it out, maybe they go in the military, or maybe they're a lawyer, or go to whatever, and you're like, how did that happen in the exact same environment? And obviously, there's balances between nature and nurture. I mean, we're born with certain things, and then the world comes in and applies certain pressures to us. And one of the things that studies have shown is sometimes it's one adult. And here's the weirdest thing. The adult doesn't even have to know that they did this. It could be a word. It could be a challenge. I have a student who turned around his life, and he's a pastor today, and uh, we we had a rocky relationship. And I, I asked him about this, not about that study. I just asked him about, so what happened? <laughs> what was the change? You know what he told me? He goes, well, on that Mexico trip when you caught me drinking, they had snuck off out of the campground and bought, out, bought beer and smuggled it into their tent. And I caught him like, duh, you idiot. <laughs> you know? And he said, what you said to me that day changed my life. I have no idea what I said. I remember being really, really disappointed, really frustrated. And I remember I didn't, I, I mean, it, we were only five hours from the border. I could have driven him home that night and been back. You know, I mean, it, I could have done that. And that was going to be my plan. I don't even remember what I said. And uh, that was it. <laughs> I wish it was like all the great sermons I preached. No, it was that moment of crisis in his life. And whatever I said, I don't even know what I said. He doesn't even remember exactly what I said. But whatever it was, and it can be a teacher that just believes in you. It can be the one teacher that says, you know what? You can make it. You can do it. And they say a lot of times it's just that and that's all it takes. And do you have that? Or on the other hand, I remember, uh, I remember going to my high school counselor and talking about college and she wasn't helpful and wasn't encouraging. And I remember walking out of there and thinking, I can do this, right? And thinking, I wonder why she doesn't think I can do this. She didn't say that. It was just her attitude. I mean, she wasn't supportive. She wasn't giving me the idea. She wasn't helping at all. And I remember walking out of there thinking, you know what? I'm going to show her. And I got accepted first in my class. And it's not like it was any big deal. I mean, it was just like, but it was so satisfying to just show her that letter and think, you know, and, and maybe she, you know what, to be fair, she probably didn't mean anything by it. But that, in a sense, propelled me to coaches. Coaches can be so influential long into your life and so devastating long into your life. 
I had a student years ago, I went to see him play baseball, and I watched him ride the bench for two and a half hours. He was humiliated. And I went to see him again, and he rode the bench. He rode the bench all season. Never played. Gave up. I mean, he didn't want to play anymore, of course. And he wasn't really that bad. He's just, you know, how sometimes it can be. He wasn't the coach's favorite, and the coach had a kid on the team, and his friends, and whatever. That happens, right? Counselors, good, bad, I mean, up, down. Bosses, coworkers. There's those people in your life who somehow end up starting to define you in a lot of ways, and they can have a lot of influence on how you see who you are. And the, the you that you are now and sometimes can be really tied to something one of those people said or the way they treated you or treated you wrong or you weren't promoted when you should have been promoted or a coworker stabbed you in the back and ruined everything for you and you had to change careers or whatever. It happens a lot. Bullies. I hear bully stories all the time from people. All the time. And as parents of young kids, school-age kids, it's something that haunts us and we worry about. And we play through these scenarios in our mind. You know, what if it happened? And what would we do? And how would we help? And, and you've probably experienced it with yourself or your kids. And it's something that can scar you for life. Friends, good, bad. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? And crisis. Crisis is one of those things that can literally change everything. And when crisis comes into your life, you start to ask yourself, who am I? It's as if the rug got pulled out and your whole life changed and you wonder, was I this person I thought I was? Because now I don't know anymore. Death in the family. Maybe you lose a loved one. Maybe something radically changes that shouldn't have happened. And you have to reevaluate everything. Maybe your response to it isn't what you thought it would be. Maybe you thought you would be stronger and you don't understand why you're still crying and you wonder, maybe I'm just not who I thought I was. Maybe you're an empty nester and it's just, it's just unnerving. And now you don't, you don't feel like you have a place and, and you were needed and now you're not and you wonder where you're supposed to be and who am I and who is this guy I'm married to didn't have to pay attention to for the last 18 years and now we're stuck together and wow, not what I expected my life to be like. Let me take a step back and I hope I know somebody whose husband, somebody really well who might, anyway, her husband isn't the person they married because of a mental illness in their later life. Their life together in their twilight years is not what they thought it would be. Midlife crisis, we see it all the time. In fact, every time I see a middle-aged man in a vet, I just smile because I want the vet and he has it and then somehow it helps me deal with that thinking, obviously midlife crisis and then he still has the vet. But a Loss of job, loss of a marriage, loss of a friend. I mean, those are things that could be huge, shattering. Maybe a career path that you were on and then it's gone. Because the economy or something happened. I mean, and those are things that shake you to the core. And you wonder who I was. And if your job is the thing that defined you, and now it's not there, who are you? Who are you? What are you? Loss of a marriage. Everything changes. Everything you had planned together. All the dreams, gone. That is not going to happen. What you thought was going to be is not going to happen. I don't know if this has happened to you, but the loss of a good friend... I've mourned that before, where I realize that's never going to be the same. Can't restore it. There's nothing I can do. It's gone. It changes everything. Loss of dreams. I never even thought of this concept until a few years ago. One of the, one of the staff pastors at Sheffield is a, is a professional counselor, and he counsels people, and something was going on with somebody, and he said, it's loss of a dream. And I remember walking out of there thinking, whoa, loss of a dream. I never heard of that. And the more I talk to him about it, it makes so much sense. Sometimes you have this thing you think is going to happen or you're going to do, and then all of a sudden you wake up and realize, that's never going to happen. Not going to happen. Maybe it's a trip. Maybe it's something you thought you would own, a house or the way you would retire or whatever it was. I mean, he was talking. It can even be, ladies, you know we're stupid, right? Guys are stupid. Every guy thinks he could, could have been a professional athlete. I just choose didn't choose to be, right? We all have that stupid thing that we think. And at some point in your life, you realize, yeah, that's not going to happen. I guess it's past. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When everybody on the football field is half your age, yeah, it's over. Dream's gone. 
<laughs> a relocation can change everything for whatever reason. Maybe you lose the house, income changed, and it changes. You know, years ago, I, uh, I had a crisis kind of like this that I want to share with you from this perspective. And, and again, talking about how stupid us guys are, we, I think every guy at some level, you, this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but somewhere in the back of your mind, you're walking to a room or whatever, and you, this is stupid, but we do it. And we're like, yeah, I could take him. No, serious, we do that. All right, you, somehow inside you want to feel like you're tough or mean or mad or bad or whatever. You have that. Guys just do that. It's weird. And there's something about our identity that gets wrapped up in those kind of things. And I don't think I realized the degree that that, that was part of who I was till you know, I had that motorcycle accident and I lost my foot. And the whole time in the hospital, you know, there were all these things you go through and realize that life's going to be different and whatnot. You know, and I, I, I know I lost around 30 pounds, but the irony is none of it was fat. You know, I came out of the hospital wearing the same pants, but I, it was all gone. Muscles are gone. I remember, remember laying, sitting in bed. I don't know if you remember this, Nicole, but I, I do. And the first time in my own bed and seeing my legs and like, they're gone. They're all little. It's just weird. And then being so helpless and weak and not the person that I thought I was. The, the person that I saw in my own mind's eye wasn't there anymore. It was a really weird thing. And I wanted to get that back. You know, and I used to work out at, the, at this uh, community center by our house. And uh, it took a long time for Nicole to let me go out by myself <laughs> again. Because it took me a long time to do anything by myself. I mean, I, my, my hip had been shattered and dislocated in the accident you know, my foot had been torn off, and it took a long time to get back to the point where I could even walk around or be on anything. And I, you know, I started a course on, a, you know, I, in a walker, but then progressed up to crutches. And crutches are amazing if you need them, but man, when you're walking on crutches for months and it takes you half an hour to get across the room to the bathroom because everything hurts so bad remember when I fell that one time? <laughs> I'm standing there talking to her with my hands. I'm like, oh, boom, right on my head. <laughs> Just do stupid stuff, you know, and you got to be careful. And, and I remember I, I was just driven. I wanted to get back to the gym. It was really important to me. And I don't think I knew what was going on in my mind at the time. But if you can imagine this, you know, she lets me out of the house by myself. And so I go to the gym, and it takes me a long time to get out of the of the car and I get over to the, the place and I, I'm sure somebody opened the door for me. It's a little humiliating. You know, and you crutch right up to the counter. And did I ever tell you about this? The lady behind the counter said, oh, did you sprain your ankle? <laughs> you know, because she didn't looked up, you know, and I crutched up to the counter. She couldn't see anything but crutches in me. I'm like, no, a little worse than that. And she looks over and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And you're like, oh, God, thanks. Don't want the pity right now. I just want to be invisible and be in the gym. And I can't go and do the things I used to do because free weights would have been super dangerous. I was still hip was sore. I couldn't do stuff. So I'm on these little machines. And I put natural on the screen because there was this guy there, this Christian guy who was a natural bodybuilder. I don't know if you've ever seen one of them. It's not like Nick in his picture he showed, you know, when he preached that day. This guy's more of a normal-sized guy, but totally like no body fat at all and all these muscles and super humble Christian guy. In fact... He would be in the gym. I mean, this was his profession. He's in there every day, always wearing like baggy clothes. I mean, he's totally not body like image. I mean, he had to be at some level to do this thing. But I, I remember crutching over to the machines and getting there. And in my corner of my eye, I see him over there. And I wasn't even thinking about this like in my conscious level. But at some level, I'm thinking, I don't want him to see me. Because he's like the ideal body and I'm broken now. I'm not me. It was weird. And so, you know, I'm super sore. So it's hard to get into these stupid machines and lift. And then you're moving to machine to machine. And, and you're just feeling stupid. And then out of my corner of my ear, you know, they got music playing. And I hear him. He's like on this bike and he's like yelling my name. Like, God, can I just act like I didn't hear him and get out of here? That's what I wanted to do. But instead, I went over to where he was 
you got to do this right, by the way. Have you ever had crutches and gone down wrong on stairs? It's scary, but like that. Okay, so I crutch over to him, you know, and I saw when I got around the machine, so he actually, because I think he thought I had a sprained ankle too, but when I got around the corner and he saw there was no leg there, you should have, I mean, his face, he just like, whoa, come here. You know, he's like <laughs> ushering me over. And he goes, wow, brother, what, what in the world, you know? And I quickly told him, you know, and I'm just thinking, can I please get out of here? In my mind, I'm just so uncomfortable with this situation. And, and I, had, I didn't realize how much of it was my identity issue. I mean, I was wrapped up in all these superficial things that weren't me anymore. And I'm standing there trying to talk to him and getting tired and my legs, this leg is getting tired and, you know, I hadn't been doing it very long and just like, oh, you know. Then he said something that, that I think you need to hear tonight. He said, you know what's so weird about you like this? That's what he said. And I had no idea what he was going to say. And he said, when I saw you over there, you're the same guy. I saw the love of Christ in your face as you were talking to people. And he just kept going on and on about these things that I wasn't really thinking about were really who I was. You know what he was doing? He was talking about my identity in Christ, the real me. And I was all wrapped up in this superficial, stupid thing that we do as guys and humans where it's all these things that don't matter. But it mattered so much, but it doesn't matter. And all he was talking about, here's this specimen, this perfect specimen of a man talking about what really matters. And I, man, I couldn't get out of there quick enough because I was about to cry, you know. You know, that's even more embarrassing, less manly. And so I remember getting into my car and just thinking, God, I am who you made me to be still. I am still this person that you created that's not that thing, and it's not that. So let me ask you seriously, who are you? Who are you? You know who you should be? You should be who Christ made you to be. And of course, he made us with all these differences and, you know, different bodies and all that. I mean, I'm not opposed to people working out and all that. Don't, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, what's your real identity? Who are you really? I hope it's not your identity is not in things that change so simply, so easily. Because that's not who Christ really created you to be. It's more than that. Our identity really, 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 really needs to be in Christ. First and all. The rest of it's just superficial stuff. It's just stuff. Who are you in Christ? I really want you to get this into your heart and soul and your spirit. You are more than conquerors. This, this word in Romans is so packed and powerful. Read it, read it along. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or crutches or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors, more than conquerors, not even just conquerors, more than conquerors, better than conquerors in all of these things, all of these things that are such disappointments and the things that you look at in your life and that, that thing that's playing in your mind from your past and what your dad said and what the bully did and whatever it is that you carried with you that's limited you into what God wants you to do, you are more than a conqueror. And if you're not living in that more than a conqueror state, then God wants you to live there. He doesn't want you where you are if you're not living there. Why are we that? Because of Christ. Because of Christ and Christ alone. Nothing you could have done would have got you there anyway. This world has got it so backwards. They strive and work and try so hard to be what God didn't even intend them to be. And they will always end up unfulfilled. I don't care if it's fame or fortune or money or power, any of those things, none of it will fulfill them. You will hear, uh, I guarantee you, you are going to hear about a suicide or you are going to hear about a marital collapse or something soon in the news and you're going to say, wow, can't believe that happened. They had it all. 
You know what? They didn't have it all because they were not more than conquerors and they were not living in the place that really Christ made for them. It's all for his glory. You know, there's so many times that we get confused and we start to think that it's ooh, us. Oh, wow. I was good at that. That was great. Hmm, not, to, not bad. You know what? It's all for his glory. And the more you live for his glory, the more fulfilled you will be. The more fulfilled you will be. I know it doesn't seem to make sense or add up, but that is the way it is because that's who he is. More than that, he even says that you're a new creation in Christ. You know what I love about this? Because old things pass away, all things are made new. You know what I love about this? Because we are all an amalgamation of whatever our past was. We are. Of course, we also are a combination of that and whatever personality God gave us. Maybe you're an optimist, maybe you're you know, an Eeyore or somewhere in between. But along with that, you have all these experiences that are added on and then things go wrong and stuff happens. And as it happens, that ends up being your identity and who you are. But if you could look at it like this and see the fact that you are a new creation, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is new, a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And let me say it this way. If the old has not gone, that is not God. That is us holding on to the old. He wants the old to be gone. This verse is written as if it is already happened. So in your life, it is, if it has not happened, it's because you're holding on to it and not letting it go. He wants it to be gone. He wants it to be new. He wants you to live in victory and be different. He wants your identity in Christ to be what he intended it to be, not whatever that thing was. It gets even better. You are redeemed. I love this word, redeemed. It means bought back. It literally is the word that was used of a slave bought out of slavery. We were slaves to sin. He bought us back. He bought us back out of slavery to sin. He did that. Relocation. What is that? Okay. Here's the verse. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, bought back from slavery, from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. And I would add the empty way of life that is ringing in your head from past things that were said to you or disappointments or failures or whatever it is that's keeping you from living in victory. Those things you are redeemed from. This is past tense. You were redeemed. Are you aware that Greek is very specific in every one of those tenses? In English, we gloss over that kind of stuff because we just speak that language. We don't think about the actual words that we're saying. And one of the great things about Greek, I took a year of Greek and it was hard. I love, I so respect pastor. He reads his Greek New Testament every day. It was hard, but it was also fascinating because there are endings that go on each word that tells you exactly what part of speech you're dealing with. On this word, it is an action that happened and was finished in the past. It's not an action that began in the past and continues on to the future. Like I'm losing my hair or I lost my hair, which is ongoing. Okay, it's not like that. It's like it happened back then. It's done. You were redeemed back there and it's over and done. And here's the thing, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, you have been bought back. I want to tell you a silly story about an eagle really quickly. There's this old story, and the way it goes is that these monkeys grabbed an eagle egg. They were intended to break it or play with it. Who knows? But these silly monkeys ended up leaving it in an emu nest. So what ends up happening is the eagle is born along with all the emu babies, but it's not an emu. It's an eagle. But guess what? The eagle doesn't fly. Why? Because he thinks he's an emu. Not only that, the emu mama thinks it's an emu, and if he tried to fly, she would knock him down and keep him from flying. Does that sound like anybody in your life? Because you're not an emu either. You were created to soar. You were created for better things than an emu. Sorry, no offense to the emu but they're creepy and don't fly. An emu is that bird right there on the right. It looks like an ostrich, but they're little and weird necks and whatever. The story goes like this, that even though it was an eagle, not only did it not fly, it didn't even eat eagle food. Eagles are carnivores. Emus are not. And it didn't do all the things that eagles are supposed to do. 
And then one day these people come along and they say, that's weird. Here's an eagle not acting like an eagle. So they try to teach it to be an eagle. And then in the story, the eagle talks and says back to them, but I can't do those things. And they say, what do you mean you can't? You were born to do it. That's how it is for you. If you are not doing these things, it's not because you weren't intended to do this. You were created for this. You were created to live beyond this. And if you're not doing those things, it's only because you've been held down by things that have either happened in your past or people that held you down or, or you have limited yourself. I have to tell you one more silly story. It's another story about, and this isn't even a story, you see it all the time. Maybe you're aware of this. I mean, elephants, you know, are tremendously strong animals. I mean, they, you know, in different parts of the country, they use them to deforest, they use them to log, they use them to do amazing things. But if you want to control an elephant for its whole life in a very simple way, when it's a baby, all you do is stake its foot to the ground. And when it's a baby, it's not as strong as the adult elephant, of course, and it can't pull the stake out. And the way they do it is they just keep it on that stake. And then as the elephant grows older, it's far more strong and it could easily pull the stake out or break the chain, but it doesn't. Why not? He thinks he can't. It thinks it can't because it's lived with that limitation its entire life and it doesn't even know what it was built for. It doesn't know the limits. I mean, it, it has these artificial limits and it doesn't know how much more it could be doing. And maybe that is you. Maybe that is you tonight and you could be doing so much more in the kingdom of God, but for whatever reason, you have been limited and pulled back and stopped. Who are you in Christ? You're a co-heir with Christ. That term, here it is. Let's look at it real quick in Scripture. Romans 8, 16 to 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If you are not hearing his spirit testify in your heart that you are his son, that you are his daughter, then you should be. And you need to find out why you're not hearing that. Is there some other voice louder saying, no, you're not good enough. No, you always make mistakes. You always fail. You sin too much. You do this, you do that. If you're hearing that instead of his spirit saying you're son of God, a daughter of God, then you, it is you, not him. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, believe me, we do not deserve to be a co-heir with Christ, not even on the same planet with him, nowhere near having this right, but God gives it to us. He gives it to us out of his love and redemption for us. He loves you so much that even though you don't deserve it, and yes, we all fail, but he loves you enough to give you this, to give you this. So if you are not living in this kind of victory, then you need to be, and he wants you to be. That's what he designed for you. One last thought. You literally are God's workmanship. Now this, this statement is so, I'm going to use this term, pregnant with meaning. I'm using that term on purpose. It's like the idea of potential energy. You know what that is? That's when you take a corn seed or any seed. Let's take an acorn. That's even better. You take an acorn, that's potential energy. It's not very strong right now, but the potential's incredible can grow a tree that is massive, that can, that can house incredible amount of animals, that could be cut down and, and heat houses, unthinkable, and plant thousands and thousands of more trees. The potential in there is amazing. The potential in this concept is phenomenal. Let's read it together. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's what this means. You are God's special creation. He made you, and he made you with purpose, and he made you with a purpose to do something, something. He had a thought in mind when he made you. It was workmanship. It was something he was proud of. Have you ever had your kid come up to you with a drawing, and you can't figure out what it is, and you're trying to say, oh, that's wonderful. She's, no, he, uh, uh, what, what is it, right? It's their workmanship, and they are proud. They are so proud of it. And you want to encourage that. Think of it, obviously, that's silly, it's a kid, but think of it, God is proud of you. He's proud of you. Maybe you haven't thought about yourself that way. 
Maybe you didn't think you were worthy of his pride, but you are. Not only are you that, but you are his workmanship that he prepared in advance for you to do good works. He didn't wait till to see how you were going to do. He didn't wait to see how you were going to perform. He didn't wait to see if you were going to be big enough or tall enough or have whatever gifts. He prepared them in advance for you to do them because that's how much he thinks of you. That's how much he thinks of you. You are God's workmanship. Nick, can I have you come up and get ready for people to pray? With that thought in mind, I want to know who are you? Who do you see yourself as? You know what? There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I'm a truck driver. Because that's who you are. That's fine. I'm a dad. That's good. All those things are who you are. Of course they are. But who are you really? I mean, if those things were stripped away, who would you be? I mean, where are you at the core of your being? What is it that is always there with you? My prayer for you tonight is that you embrace and pull it deep inside you that you, you're a child of the king. You, you are the king. You are, you are all these things. You're more than conquerors. You are a new creation. You are redeemed. You are co-heirs with Christ. You are God's workmanship. And my prayer is that you let that drive you. You know what my greatest fear is? Is that you sit at some point and say, you know what, that's true for most people, but not me. Because either I've made a mistake, or I've failed, or I've done something that I can't go any further, or nobody would listen to me. Or worse, maybe say that I'm too old. I've never liked that answer. <laughs> Jerry Pontaine, you are a... you. You are an inspiration to me. This man comes up to me and he says, I want to teach a Sunday school class. I say, great, what class do you want to teach? And he hands me a, text, a book this thick that he has been studying. Do you know how old he is? He is 86 years old. He is not done. He is not done and I love it. I love it because he is not done. None of us are done. You're not done. I don't care where you've been in life. God has more. I don't care what you've experienced up to this point. God has more. I, I love older people, and I don't apologize for saying that. I'm talking about older than me, okay? You know what I love about it? Because your life experiences are things I want to hear and we need to hear. Our young people, our young Christians, they need you. They need that insight. They need that wisdom that comes with age, not the wisdom that comes from thinking you're smart or reading a book. Or, I mean, do you know what sophomore means? Literally, the definition is somebody who thinks they're smart and they're not. That's the difference. That's why sophomoric is a term. That's how most people are at a certain age. That is not what we need. We, I mean, of course we need that and we need their energy and whatnot, but we, we need you. You're not done. God is not done with you. Maybe you think I can't do it because, like I said, maybe you've made a mistake. Maybe you've had some failures that you think you can't recover from. That is not true. I'm just telling you flat out. That scripture that said that you are God's workmanship and he prepared works for you in advance to do, there is no expiration date on that scripture. It's for you now, just like it was for them in the church then. It never changes. It's always like that. It goes on and on. Here's what I'm going to challenge you do, to do, not even just tonight, but I do want to give you a, a time to do this tonight. Would you please stand with me and close your eyes for a minute? Here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to think about this for just a few seconds with your eyes closed. I am challenging you to pray through. Pray through. That's a term that I grew up hearing a lot. And I believe that as a young person, I probably did that a few times. I know, I know in a couple instances, I just specifically remember. But I am challenging you for you to pray through. And here's what I mean by that. You know, some people use this acronym, push, pray until something happens. That's what I'm talking about. Be persistent in prayer. Be persistent and consistent. Don't let it go. Keep after God. God, what is it? Now, here's the things I want you to pray through about. If you would all just shut your eyes for a moment. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or admit anything, whatever, but I want you to think about this for a second. What is it that's limited you in following Christ to the fullest extent? What is it that has kept you from going further? What is it that has not allowed you to hear that voice that you are his child? The Spirit of God tells us that we are God's child. What is it? Is there something in the back of your mind that has said you are not good enough? Is it some kind of abuse that you experienced? Maybe a curse in the form of a father saying you'll never be good enough or you'll be just like your father or whatever. Whatever those things were. Maybe it was a sibling. Maybe it was a bully. Maybe it was someone at school. Whatever. A teacher. I've heard horrible things about what teachers, some teachers have said. As good and positive and encouraging as they can be, they can also say things that maybe they don't even mean or having a bad day and, wow, you'll never amount to nothing. I can't believe you didn't. You can't do anything. 
If you are hearing those things, I need, you need to pray through on those things. Pray through until you've achieved this point where God has completely healed and delivered you from those things so that you can move on to what he has planned for you to do. I'd like you to also pray through on this. Whatever you see as who you are, you need to pray through till you have owned the fact that you are more than a conqueror, that you are new creation in Christ, that you are redeemed, that you are a co-heir with Christ, that you are literally God's workmanship. If you don't feel those things in the core of your being, then you need to pray through until you do. Because that is God's desire for you. That is his message for you today. That's his message to you for today and forever, for every Christian, for all time. You are part of that. And if you're not feeling that, you need to pray through till you are. You need to pray through till you find out what God has created you to do. Whatever that is. And it changes from things in our lives. It could be, it could be something simple. It could be something complex. It could be something here in here at Crown Point, it could be, maybe, maybe God's going to call you to be a missionary and you're 60. Why not? Why not? Whatever it is that God is wanting for you, I need you to, you need to pray through till you hear from him. I had a former student, another former student who's now a young man, in the ministry called me on Tuesday and really struggling with God's will. He's going to have opportunity for a job. He's got this. He's got this. And as we were talking, it just hit me like a brick because I knew what I was preaching tonight. And I said, have you prayed about this? No, I didn't even say it that way. I said, how much have you prayed about this? And over the phone lines, all the way to California, I could hear his head drop and his chin hit his chest. And he said, not very much. I thought, wow. You want to be in the ministry. You're not seeking God about his will for your life. That is the job of every Christian to do that. You need to pray through. I invite you to start that here tonight, but it doesn't end here. I love the altar, and then part of me regrets the altar because so often we let the, our, our prayer life end at the altar, and that's not how God designed it. But I encourage you to start that now. As Nick leads us, I encourage you to pray. We will not have a formal benediction. You can leave whenever you feel like God is done with you. But I challenge you to pray through. This is not a 10-minute thing. Now, I'm, I, obviously, you, you need to leave in 10 minutes from church here tonight. I'm not saying you stay here all night. But praying through can be days and months and years, and you need to pray until you reach the throne. Let me pray for you, and then I'm going to have Nick lead us, and then you're on your own to pray. God, I lift up our brothers and sisters in this room here tonight, and I ask that you would clearly...